Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, the podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and today we'll hear a discussion about how a global pharmaceutical corporation with almost 120,000 employees launched a digital health accelerator. How are business scandals of digital health and biotech startups from the Silicon Valley affecting the digital health ecosystem? And our speaker briefly commented on the Dutch and German healthcare system. My guest, Eugene Barakovich, is Global Head of G4A Digital Health. The G4A program by Bayer is evolving every year and this year startups have until May 31st to apply to the program. Alongside the before-mentioned topics, a large portion of the discussion is focused on the specifics of this year's application process for the collaboration with G4A. And in the end, Eugene added a few pieces of advice for digital health startups about what it takes to create successful collaborations. Enjoy the show, add a comment wherever you get or follow the podcast, either on iTunes, Twitter, you can read the recap of this and other episodes on Faces of Digital Health Medium page or recently established Facebook page. I would also kindly invite you to subscribe to the podcast to have the next episode downloaded automatically. Now back to today's discussion. Eugene, you've been in the healthcare industry for over 10 years and you worked in different uh, countries. So you were an entrepreneur in residence in the Netherlands and then you moved to um, Germany to run the G4A program of Bayer. What are your experiences with the Dutch and the German healthcare system? Uh, thanks, Jasse. Um, no, pleasure, pleasure always talking to you. You know, un- unfortunately, uh, while we were in Netherlands, we actually had hands-on experience with the healthcare system. Um, and I have to say um, it, it was excellent. Um, and, and this is my wife who went through breast cancer. Um, you know, I think uh, I kind of joke around with a lot of my Dutch friends, um, you know, there's a lot of complaining about the healthcare system there. And of course, just like anywhere in the world, um, you know, the population, the elderly population is growing, um, you know, from a budget perspective, you know, how do you improve it? But I think, you know, what I found is, um, you know, the Dutch really loved the, I'll say the experimentation of it. Um, I think the challenge is also scaling. And what I saw in the Netherlands, while it's a, such a small country, it's still highly regional. You know, when I jump over to um, Germany, uh, you know, again, uh, it it was interestingly enough a pretty convoluted process around just the insurance and and selection process where, honestly, in Netherlands, it was very smooth. Um, uh, But um, the interesting part, as I've been living here, but even before traveling, um, the insurers here, the sick funds, um, you know, are reimbursing things like, uh, you know, second opinions. Uh, you know, if you think about a company like Tinnitrax with uh, music as medicine treatment, that's being reimbursed. So, you know, there's pockets of progressiveness. Um, and, and I think overall, 
Um, you know, if I look, uh, yes, it's very consensus-driven culture, but I think once there's consensus, the, the machine, for lack of a better term, moves, right? Uh, so I think, um, again, just uh, maybe a little bit more stereotypically at a high level, um, a lot higher level of experimentation. Uh, that's what I experienced in, in, in Netherlands. Um, and um, much more consensus-driven, but yet things are moving once there's consensus in Germany. Uh, you mentioned that people uh, are complaining about the Dutch healthcare system. Can you mention maybe a few complaints like what are people bothered by? I, honestly, no different than uh, anywhere else, right? So in some of the discussions is, um, you know, uh, reimbursements for new technologies where I think um, the Dutch government and the ministry has been pushing pretty hard, especially in the last couple of years. Um, it's the, uh, you know, it's the appointments, um, it's the diagnostics. I mean, um, again, from a personal experience, um, and my wife was treated at the AVL, uh, which is a cancer hospital. I have to say, um, you know, it, it was really just a flawless experience, you know, where, where of course the kind of the system a bit fell apart is, um, and, and she even blogged about it. Um, you know, it took, Yes, they took the cancer out, um, but the recovery on kind of mind, body, soul, you know, physical recovery uh, is not really handled by the healthcare system. So she had to kind of hack her way through that, right? Uh, but even there, I mean, a lot of the mental models, right? So a lot of the uh, mental health startups are around there, like Carify, for example, um, you know, leading the way in this. You've been working in the healthcare industry for more than 10 years. Just for uh, starters, uh, I was thinking if you could share a little bit about the premise of G4A, where is it uh, developing and what is the basic premise for Bayer to have such an incubator? So if I kind of look back on when I met the team, so the formerly known as Grants for Apps team around 2013, um, that's when, you know, Jesus Duval and team um, had a foresight, almost a, a bit of a passion project that he was able to convince some of the pharma executives uh, to start a grant program that was modeled after uh, what I would say are molecular grant programs, uh, such as grant for indications and targets. Uh, so that was in 2013 and 14. It was the first uh, by a pharma company accelerator on premise. Um, and end of 13, beginning of 14 is when I met the team. And while other pharma companies would invest uh, X hundreds of thousands into another accelerator, I personally thought it was very important to actually put this, um, you know, I'll say inside the four walls. When I arrived around 2016, there were a number of initiatives, what I would call kind of bottoms-up initiatives. Grants for Apps was one of them. Um, there was also a digital health incubator, which was, um, you know, within the uh, business services organization at Bayer. We had a digital accelerator. We had a strategy and portfolio team. Um, and so uh, it took a little bit of time, but we sort of merged under the G4A uh, umbrella in um, end of 2017, actually got really moving in 18. And a few more words. So uh, I think the world knows G4A as exactly what you started with, grants for apps. 
Um, and I always make a joke, it's very tough to rebrand without a rebranding budget. Uh, but having said that, G4A is it. It's the team that's focused uh, solely on digital health. And uh, last year, we we uh, launched our G4A generator with our consumer business uh, in U.S., uh, but also launched our G4A ventures for the entrepreneurs that are listening, no, it's not a venture fund. Um, it's a new revenue stream uh, venture building, uh, and that's happening in San Francisco. Basically, uh, the team is split up between here and Berlin, um, San Francisco, um, and a few people in Pittsburgh, which is a burgeoning uh, startup scene as well. Uh, while we're talking about the Silicon Valley and San Francisco, given your long-term industry experiences, I really wanted to uh, get a comment from you regarding what's going on with um, healthcare, biotech, and digital health startups and the practices of the way they operate, um, uh, the stories that are coming out in the last few years. So the most prominent case, of course, is the Theranos story, which is still waiting for an epilogue as the trial for the founder Elizabeth Holmes has not begun yet. And then uh, there's the latest story with the microbiome company Ubiome, which was raided by the FDI due to their uh, billing practices. So what I'm wondering is, um, it's one thing to embrace the fake it till you make it approach to boost your stuff esteem. It's quite another when you try to spread false claims about the effectiveness of your technology, which was the case in the Ternos uh, company, and tr just hope that uh, eventually you're going to develop a solution enough that that initially fake claim is going to come true. So how do you see these revealings based on the fact that you've been working in very various uh, healthcare environments? So maybe I'll, I'll break this down. Uh, your first comment about Silicon Valley and, and, and indeed, um, you know, I think from a money flow and venture capital investment, it's still leading the way. But I remember the last Health 2.0 uh, in Santa Clara, I actually asked the question, I was on a panel, who is from you know, Silicon Valley or San Francisco specifically. Um, and, you know, quite a few hands went up. And, you know, one of the things uh, and, uh, and a little bit of the beauty of G4A family around the world is, you know, what we see uh, from our standpoint is, again, yes, money flows, uh, but innovation is happening everywhere, right? Um, and, and this is from Minsk to Tokyo. Um, and so that's one kind of comment that while um, there, there's still a lot of activity in Silicon Valley, the activity around the world is picking up. You know, commenting on, um, you know, some of those um, uh, things that are hitting the news and have been hitting the news, I also say there's, um, I, I personally don't believe in fake it till you make it. Um, I think it's uh, sell. As a good entrepreneur, you want to be able to sell. But you also got to know if if and when you can actually deliver, right? And this is, um, you know, a lot of the due diligence that we do within the G4A program, you know, we're still backed um, and, you know, buyer's slogan is science for a better life. It's still anchored in science. Um, and so I think that's important lesson learned uh, for the industry. And actually, Chrissy Farr just did an article and uh, it's a bit of the summary of focusing on growth versus focusing on evidence generation, you know, clinical validation, um, and a big urge to the startup community to actually focus on that. 
Do you think it's getting harder for digital health startups uh, with the rising debate and demands lately that startups do need more validation, especially the Theranos uh, saga opened up the question that uh, biotech solutions should have peer-reviewed articles, peer-reviewed um, comments to know how how good the solutions actually are. And, uh, of course, for startups, this means that uh, they might have an even harder time convincing the investors um, and uh, they, the time from their initial idea to the solution coming to the market might prolong, which is already problematic in the digital health space. If, if you look at any technology uh, as a whole, I mean, there's the hype cycle, right? And uh, fortunately, unfortunately, to a certain extent, you need a bit of that hype um, to get more people into the industry, to get more people working on those solutions. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, sure, we're laser focused on, um, you know, the, the latest examples that you talked about. But I would say it's probably no different um, than any other industry. The only big difference and the major one of course, is we're still talking about human health, right? Um, to answer your question directly, um, I do think it will create, I would almost say, needed hurdles and also weed out founders that are just chasing the money versus ch chasing the mission and have the skill level to bring it to that next level. And I'll give you an example. You know, last year across our three programs, um, you know, we had over 1,800 applications. I have to tell you, some of them you read in 10 seconds, you kind of move that to the side and say no. This year, we honestly made it very much or very, very tough for the startups to actually apply. Everything from inserting a two-way CDA upfront to really getting the startup to think about, you know, the countries they operate in, what are the hurdles to enter the next country, um, you know, what is the early clinical evidence, or if you're a late-stage startup, what is the clinical evidence? So we are making it tougher for the startups that are applying for our programs um, this year. So um, I, I think the short answer is absolutely, but I think this was also needed for us as an ecosystem to separate, uh, to your point, uh, fake it till you make it towards the real entrepreneurs that really want to solve some of the burning issues in the healthcare system. How many applications do you expect uh, this year since you changed the application program? Way less, uh, honestly. Um, and we've also cut down the number of challenges um, uh, this year. So I think we're at 18 and they're very, very specific outside of the broader topics that um, while we're not differentiating between our early stage acceleration, which is now called the growth track, and our advanced track, so you can apply for both with one application. Um, however, kind of suggested topics for the entrepreneurs uh, for the early gr growth stage around digital therapeutics, voice technology, neurotech, um, and then, uh, you know, main challenges around uh, medication adherence, which I hate that term, uh, very not patient-centric, but uh, that's what's known in the industry. Um, and um, other topics that are on there are most mostly for the advanced track because the digital health market has matured quite significantly. So I'm not going to quote the number. We do expect a lot less, but much more quality and focused applications. 
where we spent a lot of time last year, um, honestly, just uh, picking up the signals from the noise. On the website, you've uh, kind of written a call to action for startups to apply today, not wait until the last day, because 95% of the applications are submitted within the last 24 hours of a deadline. Is uh, is that working already, like the, this call to action? I, I think that's part of human nature. So, uh, of course, they're coming in um, continuously, uh, but I would say we're still going to get that same 90, 95% in the last days. Um, you know, one, one thing, um, you know, we do urge, and I think this is a, a benefit for the startup actually, is to not wait till the last minute because we, we have a pretty well oiled process, um, for sure. You know, applications close May 31st, then we go into the assessment phase. Um, and so the more, the later you apply, we're just not able, um, and we've obviously increased the hurdle for the startups, but it also means that we as a team and uh, the experts around us um, will have to read much longer applications. So uh, again, I'm going to keep urging entrepreneurs to keep applying because it's on rolling basis, not the decision process, but the review of the applications is, is literally happening daily as the applications come in. You already mentioned that you changed the whole application process quite a bit and that you are demanding more information that perhaps you would use to. But I would still like to learn a little bit more about uh, how you're going to select the companies. Uh, you can also mention how many companies are going to be selected in the end. But um, my main dilemma or question is that um, I was also in uh, various uh, startup juries uh, for various competitions and it's really hard to distinguish uh, the signal from the noise you know because so many things can work on paper and it's hard to see what's what actually works so how are you going to approach this issue yeah so um you know i, I guess i'll comment quickly why we changed the process um you know i think as g4a has been growing sort of organically and and expanding out uh, we realized um, and and kind of got out of the, our our four walls. It was very confusing for the startups. Um, you know, we had last year at least directly run by my team. You know, we had the early stage accelerator in Berlin. We had the deal maker program. We had the generator program. So what we wanted to do this year is a simplify the process. It's uh, one way in. B uh, a bit obfuscate the um, the confusion of the internal processes, which are complex on the decision making process itself. Um, and then finally, um, I know you mentioned uh, and kind of echoing my comment, yes, we made it more complex, but it's for a reason to help us help the entrepreneurs to separate the, you know, the signals from the noise. And we look at it, you know, very specifically, if we look at growth stage, I mentioned earlier, or growth track, we are looking for an MVP already, right? So you have to have something, uh, not just an idea. We're looking for a diverse team, not just one person somewhere uh, working from their house. Um, we're looking for, again, some hypotheses around clinical validation. For the advanced track, these uh, we're looking already for, uh, and yes, it's, it's an easier proxy to say that if you've raised a late Series A, B, or C+, um, you know, these are products, they're, they're in the market, they're working with other customers, 
And so that's our advanced track where we, the goal is to actually cut commercial deals, commercial contracts um, with uh, those companies and startups and either co-create a solution uh, together or take it to market as is uh, with obviously modifying some uh, flows and, and operational flows that, that fit uh, the two companies together. In the growth track, uh, again, in the MVP, agreed. It's hard to see whether things will work or not work, uh, but we also look to mentor the, the founders. Uh, we also assign them everybody from, you know, R&D to commercial to regulatory to legal to work through some of those cooperation models and go to market uh, strategies and clinical validation. You know, in a case in point, uh, we're still working uh, with a company called Canaptic from last year's Accelerator as an example, uh, where a lot of this is kind of being worked through post the Accelerator in a commercial model. How many companies are you going to select in the end? So for the growth track, we'll still probably stick to the same, you know, three to six, which we've been doing year over year. For the commercial model, which is the advanced track TBD, and it all depends on you know, deep due diligence. Um, and just to walk you through quickly through the process, the applications will close sharp on May 31st. We then go into a true selection mode with uh, our colleagues across Bayer uh, in a workshop environment to really select the finalist for each challenge, but also for uh, the growth track. Um, and then in, uh, so that's, uh, ju- uh, sorry, June, July, August, September, we will invite a small subset of the companies uh, for sprint-like fashion, either here in Berlin or where it's appropriate, to actually go through what's the real use case we're going to work on, what's the commercial model, and what's the business hypothesis uh, working together. And only then we make the final kind of recommendations and acceptances. Uh, I think last year you innovated the whole application process also by inviting some representatives of patients group to assess how good the solutions were. How did that turn out and are you keeping that uh, in the application process as well this year? Uh, so absolutely, this was, uh, I think, something uh, the team kind of 3 a.m. thinking, why the hell we have not done that to begin with? Um, so this will definitely be a repeat Um uh, I think that view um, and is is super important. Would you even use that solution? And you know, I'll talk a little bit about our G4A ventures that kicked off last August. Uh, basically, anchored into behavioral science with ethnographic research. What's the problem we're trying to solve? And um, I would say iterating from there, including the business model. We're um, taking the learnings from our ventures unit um, and we're trying to apply that across that identify phase uh, that I talked about earlier that will take place after the summer, the August-September timeframe. So um, it's, it's really around what is the unmet need, what is the, uh, you know, what's the patient journey uh, and so uh, those workshops will, will uh, include, you know, external talent, external, um, uh, you know, patients, uh, and d- deep dive into kind of the behavioral science of usage. Because a lot of uh, the challenges we always try to solve kind of for ourselves, for lack of a better term, for Bayer and Bayer's business. 
And um, so we're turning that around uh, this year to really focus on outside the four walls. What's the real unmet need? What's the use case? Uh, and what's the viability, uh, both you know, from a technical, clinical, um, and financial? I must say that I was quite impressed when I looked at the solutions that you're looking because you really went into details regarding the focus that you wish to achieve. So, for example, in uh, cardiovascular um, area, you're looking for solutions to improve the medication adherence through approaches beyond pill reminder sensors and interactive diaries, which have been in development for years and haven't really shown any real uh, impact. That and in the public health uh, sector, you're looking for digital health solutions to enable disease awareness in Africa. And you um, mentioned specific countries such as uh, Kenya, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and Ethiopia. Or uh, in oncology, monitoring cognitive functions in prostate cancer patients. Can you further elaborate a little bit on how these specific focuses were, were chosen in the first place? Yeah, so uh, while last year for the deal maker, the team uh, really worked hard on the workshop. So if I rewind back, you know, our advanced track is kind of modeled um, after the deal maker, uh, so the commercial model. Um, and you know, year over year, we've also been pivoting. So if I rewind back to 2017 when we launched the deal maker, we basically reached out uh, to our therapeutic areas, to R and D, and said, "What are your challenges?" Right? We got a number of them. I think we had almost 40, if I'm not mistaken, or 37. We've sort of modified the text a little bit. We worked through, you know, legal and all of that to be able to post it. This year, the team has spent an enormous amount of time really working with our business owners to, you know, yes, also in the workshops, but going from a number of different ideas, but even applying some of those things, what is the use case, right? What would be the potential financial model um, and business model around it? And so a lot of what you see here is actually been um, a process that took basically a quarter from January through end of March and actually a little bit into April. So we, we launched some initial challenges and then there were a few backed up. Um, so uh, the team as you can see, is getting deeper and deeper into the content, understanding the challenges, working with our divisional counterparts to really zoom in on something that we're willing and able to go beyond just a pilot or a letter of intent into scale. Uh, one of the premises why G4A is still... Uh running inside Bear is also to um, kind of encourage the entrepreneurship or maybe just innovation inside the, the corporate. I think you mentioned that in one of the, the interviews. And Bayer has almost 111,000 employees. So you mentioned before that you've got some internal processes going on when choosing the topics and everything. So can you maybe just uh, share a little bit of an insight how that works is that just uh, mostly focused in inside the the Bayer headquarters or uh, is a wider number of employees involved in in all this right so um you know first of all indeed it's uh, almost 120,000 people um and I'm not going to go through the segmentation of that um what I can tell you is that year over year over year we have grown in the number of people that at least want to be involved with G4A. 
Um, I believe last year we had over 150 experts throughout the company participate somehow at some touch point of the process last year through the three programs, okay? Um, and that number is growing, and, uh, and honestly, myself and the team constantly getting, interestingly enough, either through Twitter or LinkedIn or internal messaging, you know, how do we get involved? And this is where I do want to sort of point out kind of our G4A family around the world. You know, we're running the early stage accelerator program now, and this was very bottoms up, uh, you know, to a certain extent. You know, how do we get involved? And there's different models, right? So the accelerator um, is running now in Moscow, Istanbul, Shanghai, uh, Tokyo and Seoul. Um, you know, the version of the deal maker type of uh, is running in another five or six countries. And then we have meetups going on in, I think, 32 or 33 countries and over 40 cities. This is very much, uh, I'd say, bottoms up. These are passionate individuals around there, around the world um, that say, I want to do something. How do I get involved and engaged? Right now, you know, I think to a certain extent, uh, what we also, uh, I'll give you an example, why are we asking the country question on the questionnaire, where do you operate now, but also where your plans are? I mean, the reality is a lot of the headquarters, uh, while Germany is also a country and we have sales here, um, you know, I think a lot of the pilots that we can start scaling will start happening all over the world. Um, without mentioning some names from last year, you know, we're doing a pilot with one of the dealmaker companies in Sweden, for example. And so we're looking for partners around the world within Bayer um, as these challenges get, uh, you know, kind of co-worked and co-created with our business colleagues. Um, you know, the actual implementation will need to happen somewhere in the ground in one of many countries that Bayer operates in. You know, one of the key things that we're also doing uh, and started that early in the year uh, is we created an engagement office. We as a team know how to communicate outside pretty well, uh, but that laser focus on the inside is uh, matters as well. So we're, we're doing quite a lot of that internally as well. One thing that I'm trying to... Um bring up in this podcast uh, whenever possible is the differences in the healthcare systems and the differences in cultures uh, happening around the world and how different cultures are approaching the uh, same uh, healthcare issues. And um, G4A has been expanding quite a lot um, in the last years. We've, we've mentioned 35 countries. And then, uh, for example, if I just look at China, that uh, is a lot in the focus um, regarding the competition to the U.S. Um, G4A has offices in Shanghai. There's um, a group in Beijing, Hong Kong, and Chengdu. So you've traveled a lot to Asia last year. So, and I'm curious to learn what did you uh, see is happening? How is the space uh, developing? If we look at um, Asia, G4A has an accelerator in Singapore and in uh, Seoul in South Korea and a special data science challenge in Tokyo. So you really are, you know, you, you have your uh, information centers there. 
it, it is absolutely fascinating. You know, jumping all the way to the greater China, indeed, I mean, we have a Hong Kong office, um, you know, Shanghai, which is uh, what I would say our corporate slash consumer business, and Beijing is mostly pharma. Um, it was, you know, I've been promising Selena Chu, who is our president of Greater China. I, I made it out there very, very briefly la- last year, I believe, for our demo day for the accelerator. Um, this time, I was able to spend about 10 days. Um, and uh, and I guess a couple of things. So one, um, there's a number of entrepreneurs that are raising money um, in the West um, and moving to either Hong Kong or Singapore as a jumping point uh, to the Chinese market, right? And just one quick example is uh, Rob Roya, Circadia Health, uh, based in Hong Kong. Um, the other aspect is uh, even the Hong Kong government, um, you know, while I was there, they announced a Hong Kong EHR that was launched with already 1 million patients. Um, they've been seeing quite a lot of growth in startups. So I think they quoted something like 15% growth in startups uh, and 10 to 15% growth in job creation. So that becomes still an important piece. Um, it, you know, jumped over, we drove over uh, to kind of the Silicon Valley of China, uh, Shenzhen. Um, you know, the amazing part was uh, I met with a startup, uh, it was a medical AI startup called Yi Yuan. Um, and, you know, they're working with the Chinese FDA. They're level two approved. Uh, one client, one hospital, and they have access to 200,000 lives uh, of images, right? So imagine the scale and ability to train the algorithms to improve uh, those algorithms. On the other side, though, um, you know, an average doctor uh, um, gets anywhere between 90 to 180 seconds to see the patient, uh, which is absolutely insane. And so companies like Pingan, uh, which is one of their largest insurance companies, uh, launched a good doctor platform where they want to look at and, and already doing looking at diagnostics at home. You know, Good Doctor itself is uh, basically a telemedicine virtual hospital. Um, so, you know, I can keep going and going. It's, it's really just amazing to see the speed. Uh, but I would also say while, you know, there's intricacies uh, in working in China and we've seen quite a lot of things going on and a lot of news uh, around it, I think the speed um, of movement is just fascinating. It's truly fascinating to see. Is that, when you mentioned uh, 90 seconds to 3 minutes per patient, is that like uh, uh, statistically or how, how does that look like? Because, you know, some critics uh, of uh, statistics that the doctors, for example, have 7 minutes per patient uh, say that if you have an administrative visit where a patient just needs some confirmation for a, for a sick leave or something, that visit is shorter and then a doctor has more time for another patient that needs uh, a, a longer conversation. So I, I don't have the details on that number. This is um, in obviously in the conversations. Um, and of course, we did have some of those discussions. Where does it kind of fall in? And um, this is, I would say, the average number that was quoted to me. Um, but that's not necessarily to your point. You know, if it's an administrative visit, that might be literally 45 seconds. You know, the, the main point of it is that, uh, you know, telemedicine at home diagnostics, 
um, you know, community care is something that's really being kind of explored and pushed uh, by the government and through, you know, channels like Good Doctor. How much support can you offer companies that come in contact with you that you work more closely with? So the companies that are going to be uh, chosen in this next election process for G4A, because you have all these connections uh, on uh, many different parts of the world. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think just to kind of clarify, I think in in the different parts of the world, it's it's very much of a franchise model, right? Um, so, for example, the Shanghai has been spearheaded by Selena. Uh, we now, for example, have Sunny and a few other people that are kind of the G4A family running the local program. It is meant for Chinese startups only. Um, when you say uh, the support, so the ones that my team runs directly here in Berlin um, we're not changing anything from a growth track perspective. This is kind of hands-on. We'll have people dedicated, um, you know, helping those teams make the best out of their 100 days, um, you know, both internal and external mentoring, drilling, you know, all, all the kind of, I would say, typical stuff um, that uh, a more typical accelerator. On the commercial, on the advanced track side, uh, while we have 19 challenges, and this is why it's very difficult to commit to any numbers, as you uh, asked me earlier, it's if there are a number of companies that fit the specific challenge, look positive. With my team, um, obviously, it's a very small team uh, as related to 19 challenges. So we will also look at the viability of each of those solutions and the uh, potential scalability uh, of it. And that's where we're going to spend the time as a team. Okay. Um, kind of, uh, I, I call it a bit herding cats <laughs> around the organization. One question that I really, really want to ask you um, before we wrap up is also because you have so many experiences with uh, startups and the healthcare industry, is there anything that you can say as an advice uh, when it comes to application process or pitching? It's a never-ending question. What are maybe not the mistake, but the clumsiness that you still come across when entrepreneurs are trying to approach you or when they try to apply to programs such as G4A is? Yeah, um, and, you know, I, I'll preface it that every entrepreneur needs to kind of test their value proposition. But, um, you know, I get approached, as you, as you mentioned, quite a lot, you know, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, uh, you know, directly. And sometimes um, I just don't, it, you know, it's an approach from a technological perspective, but I don't understand what the value proposition is. So, you know, do your homework on that 30 second really value proposition pitch. Um, that's one. Uh, secondly, um, you know, do some research, right? And while, um, you know, G4A team is looking for things in digital therapeutics, neurotech, voice tech, and we, we will sort of help these companies uh, grow, whether it's relevant for Bayer or not, um, do your homework on what could be more relevant for Bayer. To give you an example, um, you know, Bayer, um, you know, divested of the diabetes division, you know, a number of years back. I think the only assets that we have are actually in greater China, um, Glucobi. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, startups, and, and I mean a lot, have tried to pitch me kind of diabetes solutions for Germany. I'm just picking a random country. But, um, you know, do your homework. Uh, understand where buyers playing today, and this is for any corporate. Um, so that's two. 
And then I'll bring back a little bit of the conversation we had earlier um, is really, you know, key focus on, you know, evidence and science, uh, because while, um, you know, while there is a lot of hype, ultimately, we are talking about human beings and the biology is very complex. Right. And so um, I think uh, I, I love Buyer's slogan of science for a better life. And I think uh, these entrepreneurs, if you're really serious about scaling your digital health solution, that needs to be a key This was the 37th episode of Faces of Digital Health. Stay tuned, subscribe to the podcast to be notified about the upcoming episode automatically and do get in touch. Your ideas are valuable and always appreciated. What is the basic premise for Bayer to have such an incubator?